Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast. Bud, we will thank our friends in New Iberia, Louisiana. Louisiana hot sauce, three simple ingredients, one fantastic product. Title sponsor of the Nolcast and uh, the people who have uh, given us leadership and support since day one. As always, we will thank them for making the Nolcast possible. Uh, I'm going to talk, uh, going to have a recruiting focused episode here. Uh, surprise, surprise, going to do some offensive tackle talk, uh, some other positions uh, as we make our way through the conversation. Uh, but the most of this will be kind of an evolving board uh, when it comes to tackle, who we think they are kind of uh, in the process of, of really trying to make up their board right now internally and uh, look at a couple other positions. So with that, Bud, uh, let's jump into it and excited to see where this version of the Nolcast goes. I'm excited, man. It's going to be a good show. We, we have several nice uh, recent written reviews on Apple Podcasts, by the way. So we always ask for written reviews on, on that. Uh, Apple Podcasts puts a lot of weight into those written reviews. And if you give us five stars and, and you give us an, a nice, kind comment, that's awesome. I, I know we have over 3,000 at this point. And just a reminder, uh, if it's been a while, you know, if it's been a couple months since you left your last review, uh, you are eligible to leave us another one. It really helps keep the show going, helps keep us up there. Uh, on top of, of the Apple Podcast charts as the top show. So very excited about that. And l- yeah, let's let's jump in tonight and, and speak about the offensive tackle position. Uh, I think we need to have a little bit of a reset now with this recruiting spot simply because Florida State has thrown out some new offers. I, I think it's important as well to kind of go a little more macro on this and, and remind people who Florida State will have in the 21 class. So Ingram, let's let's start there with... Florida State's t- class of 21 roster, right? Like when, when they get on campus uh, and, and Florida State rolls into the 21 season, who are the guys who they're actually going to have on campus in 2021? And with that, we can kind of frame that for the listenership uh, and explain why we think they need to do certain things at the tackle position. So uh, tell me if I've left anybody out here, but uh, my opinion as we are uh, projecting forward to 2021 as you enter into it, you'd be looking at a redshirt senior, Brady Scott, a redshirt junior, Chaz Neal, redshirt junior, Jalen Goss, redshirt sophomore, Darius Washington, redshirt sophomore, Ira Henry, second-year player, Zane Herring, second-year player, Lloyd Willis, second-year player, Robert Scott, and second-year, Thomas Schrader. I, I think, I mean, if we're reading off tackles, that's, uh, I think that's a, an accurate and also potentially would we say generous reading maybe just because we don't necessarily know if all those guys can play tackle, but we think at least all of them are going to be tried out uh, at tackle in this new offense, certainly. And, and we, we focus on tackle so often in, in this, in this show, simply because it, it's the one position where really you're not sure how many guys you have starting for you actually belong in the power five, right? You, you may have a lot of uh, F, you know, like lower level FBS or even some FCS level guys starting for you there. But I, you read off that list, man, and am I wrong to be kind of encouraged about about the 2021 season when it comes to offensive line? Like it seems like we might be on track for our Nolcast offensive line improvement plan that we laid out what in in, in 2018 after we realized just how bad the offensive line was going to be. Terrible, then bad, then below average, and then make that jump all the way to above average. You could have you could sell me on an above average line in in, the, in in 2021 with this group. You could you could. In my opinion, a lot of the 
a lot of the, the story will really be written by what you get out of your redshirt sophomores there. What what Washington looks like, what Henry looks like. Uh, no disrespect to kids, Neil and Goss. Uh, if if we get anything out of them as far as players, I'd be surprised. Uh, I'd look at it a bonus at this point. Uh, Brady Scott seems to be uh, by no means a, a sure thing, but somewhat of a known quantity uh, when we talk about these kids. But uh, the how Zane Herring emerges, what comes to Lloyd Willis, but really. In my opinion, this a lot of this conversation is shaped around what the product looked like uh, from Darius Washington and, and where you are kind of with Ira Henry at that point. I think that's very fair and a good point you make about about Brady Scott with like if he's your floor player in in the 2021 season at offensive tackle and he did play tackle in the bowl game against Arizona State. Now, granted, Arizona State's defensive line was was hot trash, uh, but. Yeah, that that's probably the group right there. You, maybe you throw in a guy like like a Robert Scott or or maybe a Thomas Schrader, depending. Uh, but I, I think you're probably right. It's what are you getting out of Washington? What are you getting out of Henry? Uh, I don't have any reason to believe that Chaz Neal or Jalen Goss can actually play. Uh, Jalen Goss has not added the necessary weight to play ACC football, uh, and I mean I can't say that he won't by 21, but he's missed out on too much time. Didn't add the weight he needed to add. And I've said it many times. I mean, hopefully Chaz Neal proves me wrong, but he's absolutely the worst high school player I've ever seen Florida State sign. And I don't know why they took him as a recruit. So, you know, maybe maybe he'll prove me wrong in a big way. He's still on the roster, so I, I'm already a little bit surprised uh, that that he is. But in, in thinking about that, that's a lot of tackle bodies. So I don't know. We, we got some pushback on my assertion last episode that, that you would throw extra scholarships at this position. And, and I, I'm not backing off that necessarily, but I, I don't know that you can throw multiple extra. I think maybe you, you go plus one in that category. Uh, and to that end, Florida State did expand its offensive tackle recruiting board, and uh, they went ahead and offered a guy who we talked about for two episodes, and I guarantee you we would have talked about for a third in a row as far as probably needing to offer this kid. And that, that, that's Big Rod Orr out of Alabama. Yeah, Rod Orr, somebody's tape that I was immediately impressed with. You and I have talked a lot about, uh, you know, kind of the delicate balance of what you're trying to find here. You're trying to get on kids in front of other schools. Uh, you're trying to, you know, find kids who might right now be viewed as a, you know, maybe a two-star, more likely a three-star, but a guy who has the ability uh, to grow into a, a four-star prospect upon further evaluation, or at least a, a guy that internally you would put a four-star mark on. You do have to sometimes with these kids kind of engage in a little bit of a, da- a dance as far as when you offer them, particularly if you're uh, look, you're not going to keep a kid like stashed per se, like maybe you could 20 years ago. But um, if you've got a big in-state power and you're kind of trying to figure out how to go about this process, I can I can understand where maybe it's not an immediate offer from Florida State standpoint. Now, when we're talking about the orchid in particular, once you start to get schools like Oregon offer him, once you start to get larger, you know, national brands coming in, then I don't know that there's a whole lot of kind of flying under the radar you can do. Uh, I see where Florida State had to offer the kid, in my opinion, did. And uh, we'll see where Florida State goes with Rod Orr at this point. So are you saying that Florida State might wanted to have waited on Orr because they didn't want to offer him so early that Auburn would get pressure to offer and then the kid would likely just go to Auburn since it's close by and he's... That was that was the, the in-state school I was referring to. Perhaps I should have been more clear there. 
Yeah, um, and you know Auburn takes a couple hits to the against Tennessee and other schools and has to reevaluate their own board. And when you know Florida State is is not the dynamic uh, or the ginormous power in college football right now, but it's still an offer uh, that catches people's eye and uh, certainly would have been something that uh, that Auburn would have taken notice of. I, I think that's exactly right. Like if you're Florida State, you know that if Auburn offers this kid, he's probably going to go to Auburn. Right, he's already stated in interviews that that he's very fond of the interstate schools and would like offers from them. The later it takes Auburn to offer this kid, the better it it potentially helps you if you're the Knowles. And so that that is a delicate balance. I, I totally agree with you. It makes a lot of sense. But I think your other point's really well made, man. Once Oregon comes in, okay, that's a national power. Mario Cristobal has done a good job uh, recruiting offensive line for the Ducks. What once once he pulls that pin on that offer. You basically need to throw your hat in and say, okay, like let's let's go ahead and see if we can just beat Auburn head to head, and basically assume that Auburn will or that Auburn will eventually offer a guy like Rod Orr, who I I think, you know, if they Florida State had, had summer camps this year, or if any schools had, Orr would be a guy who would blow up quite a bit this summer, simply because I think he moves well enough relative to his large large and long frame uh, that people can easily project him. To be a pretty damn good player down the line, if you can put a little more weight on him and if you can coach him up, but he he has the, the that high end potential that I think you look for. Well, uh, yeah, I, I'm just going to ask you a broader question, and I don't mean to take us in a direction that's uh, you know going to sidetrack the pod for ten minutes or something, but I did want to ask you this. You know, sometimes the idea that these institutions want to see you at camp uh, and evaluate you before giving you the offer um, is the case. Sometimes they're trying to delay things. Sometimes. Uh, you know, they do, I don't know if they want to make the moment special, if that's the right way of putting it, but uh, there is certainly some broader thought that gets put into as to when you offer these kids, how you offer these kids. Um, and sometimes you're just offering a kid to let him know, like, hey, you know, you're the third, you're Amarius Mims, you know, no, no ish Sherlock you're offering me. Every other, every other program in the, in the country's offered me. I've had scholarships since I was a you know, sophomore in high school, but sometimes with these big kids or sometimes with these lesser known kids, it is a big moment. And it's a kid that upon that time of offer, you're not necessarily looking for a commitment uh, as far as a commitment in your class, but you are trying to secure a commitment that he's going to come to camp, that he's going to give you better consideration. Uh, I don't mean to be long winded here, but in in the age of COVID, kind of how are some of these staffs offering uh, these kids or, or what are they trying to get out of the out of the actual moment that they offer them or how has that been impacted? Man, what, what an awesome question. And, and I feel like because we're, you know, we're such good friends and we do talk on the phone all the time. Like sometimes in my head, I'm like, did we talk about this on the show or was this a, a, a phone call thing? And I, I'm glad you brought this back up because I'm pretty sure this was a phone call thing that we have not done on the show. And it's something we should do on the show like right now. There's all these different kinds of games you can play with this, right? So the camp offer sometimes literally means we did, like we're not sure about you. We're going to quote unquote offer you, but it's not really committable until you come to our camp and prove to us that you're actually a, a you know whatever our school is quality player. Uh, there's also like like you said the come to campus offer. This is oftentimes another stall or come to campus to get your offer. This is oftentimes like a stall tactic, right? It's like man, if we offer this kid. We're a little bit worried that he might go ahead and pull the trigger and commit. And, and we like him, but he's not really our, our our top choice, right? He's not the guy we really want in the boat. Now, we would take him, but we want to take him like a month or six weeks from now if we get turned down by this kid or perhaps this other kid 
who we have ahead of him. So the, the come to camp to get your offer to make it special is usually a stall tactic, but not always, right? Sometimes if a kid is so good, like an Amarius Mims, right? You actually might try this trick and I would equate it to uh, like, let's say that, you know, you're, you're trying, trying to hit on a, a girl who's way out of your league, right? Typically, this might not work. And if she's way out of your league, your, your chance is not that great anyway. But if you kind of go and you play hard to commit as a dude who's not that good looking, she might think, wait, like why, why is he playing, you know, kind of hard to get and, and talking smack to me? You know what I mean? Like if you're a five-star kid, why is this school, what, why are they saying, hey, come to campus if you really want your offer? Maybe it kind of creates some intrigue in that prospect's mind. So there are coaches out there who will pull that move. And occasionally it works. It can help you to differentiate yourself a little bit, but it can also backfire, right? The kid can also say, yeah, well, guess what? I have 30 other offers and, and I don't need to come to camp or campus rather uh, just to get my offer from you. But right now, these schools are very limited in this, right? Like if you say, hey, Ingram, like let's pretend you're, I don't know, a, a three-star offensive tackle prospect from Central Florida, right? And I know that you like Florida State a whole lot. And I'm a little bit worried that if I offer you that you're going to commit on the spot. Like, can I reasonably tell you, hey, man, we want to offer you, but we want, we want to make it special. We want to have you and your family there. When you get to campus, we're going to give you your offer and really make it special for you and show you exactly what a Florida State offer means. Well, your response might be, hey, Coach Bud, uh, when do you think that trip to campus might happen? Do we know when? These visits are going to be happening because I certainly don't. And I don't think you do because of, of the shutdown right now. Like, there's no on campus activities going on. There's not going to be any summer camps. Uh, it makes it interesting. And, and you're right. There are all these tactics. And this year, those tactics have changed a whole lot. That doesn't mean that offers aren't going out there. Another name that was added to the list, a uh, prospect out of Texas by the name of uh, Jacoby Jackson, somebody that I looked at, maybe, you know, certainly interested in your opinion and my, in mine, maybe the most polished prospect that I've seen Florida State look at at the offensive tackle. A lot of these guys have been kind of athletes that could project uh, to interesting things, whether they be or whether they be the kid out of Athens, Georgia, uh, Laughlin that we talked about last time. Jackson, big prospect, prototypical size. Um, not trying to take make him out to be some kind of world beater, but did look a, a more polished tackle than that of what we've uh, talked about. I threw out a name last time that we spoke, and and really for me, the want <clears throat> when I look at this class is to you know go try to find me a Zebri Sanders if if you want to go back ten years ago as to where Florida State was. Sanders wasn't an all world prospect, but he was a nice prospect out of Ohio. Florida State beat a couple other larger schools for him. Also, we're fortunate with numbers. Uh, when it looked at a, another prospect. But that was a tackle that gave you some certainty. I think Zebri went in the fifth or sixth uh, round of the NFL draft. So, again, not asking for some kind of world beater, but, you know, one of these names, whether it be Orr, Jackson, Laughlin, you know, somebody that you can start to build around and have some degree of consistency uh, when you're when you're projecting towards year 22, 23, et cetera. Exactly. I, I think this is, a, this is probably a smart offer by Florida State. And, you know, look, Two episodes ago, we discussed it. Like, is Florida State's realistic board Micah Pettis and and the Jackson kid who's committed to Florida? Like, if I'm Florida State, I don't think I would take either of those kids right now. I I don't know. I'm not really convinced that they're Florida State quality players. I actually like the three offers they just fired out, Jackson, or and then recently Laughlin, better than those guys. So now, if I'm Florida State, I'm sitting there. I'm thinking I, I'm I'm feeling 
know, I'm feeling better about my board. I've got those three who I feel like I'm legitimately in the conversation for. I also have these these somewhat long shot guys who still respond to my texts quite a bit. And you know, f- for instance, like Amarius Mims or, or or Tristan Lee, is Forest State going to get those guys? No. If I could bet on it, and I didn't work in the industry because obviously I don't think I'd be very ethical to bet on recruits since my job is. Uh, I would bet heavily on no, they're not going to get those guys, but they might get an official visit out of it. And, and I don't really see the harm in continuing to talk to those kids as long as you don't actually believe that you're going to get them, right? It helps you to have those kids take official visits to your school to come back and say, hey, Mike Norvell and Coach Alex Atkins are really doing something here. Coach Thompson is doing something here, right? They're going to rebuild the front. Florida State's not going to be known for having a terrible offensive line in perpetuity. Well, I, I think that's that's important, but you can't rely on it. You can't do what the last staff did. And I think they did a lot of really good things recruiting the last time. I don't want to be, you know, retrospective guy and just totally change my opinion on stuff. But something we said at the time that we thought was a mistake was that they thought they were going to get Evan Neal for literally no reason. And when those coaches would ask me, I'd say, yeah, you're not getting Evan Neal. Like, you probably only finish second. But even if you do, there's no prize for second place. So you can't rely on getting a guy like that. Uh, and lying in, in, in recruiting meetings doesn't really help. Uh, now that I think they have some more realistic options out there of kids who I actually think are, are probably Florida State quality guys, uh, that's a good sign. I, I also think there's an interesting discussion to be had here uh, about Garner Langlow. So Auburn went ahead and, and offered Garner Langlow. Uh, we don't know if that's necessarily a, a committable offer. Uh, he is the teammate uh, of, of your center, uh, Jake Slaughter, but he's also a teammate of offensive tackle Caleb Johnson, who everybody thinks at this point is going to go to Auburn. Like, would would Auburn take Garner Langlow right now? I I don't know. Maybe they would, but but maybe maybe they wouldn't. I, I don't know how hard they're really pressing for commitment from Langlow. I, I do know that Florida State likes Langlow. They they talk to him, but I don't know that he's like necessarily an offer kid right this minute. Uh, the same probably goes for a, a Ruquan Buckley, right, who, out of Michigan, who we discussed last show. With, with a, a Langlo or a Buckley, if you offer them now, do you worry a little bit that they jump in the boat immediately? And if so, does that foreclose you the, the possibility of getting a better option at the position? So if you're, if you're Alex Atkins, if, if you're Mike Norvell, there's a lot of stuff that you have to balance right now. And... uh if they hadn't offered anybody, like if we came on a third straight show, we're like, oh yeah, they're, they're still looking at kind of Pettis Jackson. Uh, I, I think that would have been a mistake. But now I, I got to tell you guys, looking at what they have in, in 2021 for, for the roster and then looking at the offers they have out, I feel like they're they're in kind of a decent place right now. And then I, I think after this, we can discuss kind of like what is sort of the minimum that they need to issue an offer. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, you know, look, it's not our job to, you know, carry anybody's water. But uh, from day one, we seem to have been fairly confident that they've got a, a pretty good recruiter when it comes to, you know, Atkins' ability to actually get traction with kids, get in front of kids. I also think, and again, I don't want to make too much out of this, but it certainly looks like there's a more comprehensive plan to this than there has been, Bud. And, and you know, we're not, again, not trying to uh, dance on anybody's grave when it comes to past staffs. But I do like what I see here as far as, hey, look, there's three kids that we've identified. There's a couple other kids here that we, I don't want to say back burner, but are wanting to do further evaluation of. And yeah, we'll take a, 
you know, we'll take an official visit. Again, if, if Amarius Mims wants to give you an official visit, I'm not a real big, like you just said, you don't, you either sign the kid or don't you get, you don't get points if you come in second. Uh, I'm not a real big kid or I'm not a real big guy on giving you credit for getting kids to take officials. But if you can get a, a kid who's either the number one or number two ranked tackle in the country uh, out of Bleckley County to give you an official, that that will be evidence of traction with that type of prospect that Florida State hasn't seen in so long that I will, uh, you know, I, I, if that's your plan, I, I say you see that all the way through. Maybe something crazy happens, but if a kid's going to give you a legitimate conversation for an official and he's that talented, uh, you got to go through the whole process with him. Uh, that I can I can entirely understand. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, something else that, that I'm really interested in following is just how well I will do in trivia, man. Are, are you going to be there on Wednesday? Most certainly, yeah. Look forward to this. So, you, you know, I probably did do a good enough job explaining this on our last pod. So um, we will use a little bit of time to flush this out. So we'll point you to stumpthebud.com, S-T-U-M-P-T-H-E-B-U-D.com, stumpthebud.com. So this, look, this is just really designed for us to have a good time with a sponsor that we've uh, thoroughly enjoyed working with since day one. And uh, it'll be a large capacity Zoom call. We'll hang out, have fun, uh, get a couple questions right, get a couple questions wrong. You're not on the hook for anything. Uh, If you get it past both of us, you get a free T-shirt, and a free lunch. So uh, not, you know, again, not a whole lot that could go wrong for you. Hopefully it'll be a fun time for everybody. It'll be May 6th, Wednesday, May 6th. Uh, you'll get an email uh, as far as the Zoom invite and look forward to hanging out and uh, seeing as many of y'all as possible. It's going to be a blast. And, and, and congrats to Madso, by the way, on on opening back up. Look, the, that is such a tough balancing act for them throughout the whole shutdown and feel like they handled it well, man. I, I really, I'm, I'm proud of those guys. And and like, if you've been around them, you, you understand how hard Matt and those dudes work. And we're really excited that they're going to continue to be there for us and, and be there for the Tallahassee community. And, and I'm, I'm excited to help them out on Wednesday night. And let's, let's have some fun with this thing. I'm, I'm going to, uh, there's, there's no FCC. I don't think for zoom call. So I'll, I'll probably throw a couple back of sipping on one right now and uh, have an old cast t-shirt on. And, and this is, this is going to be good. And I, I feel like there's some categories that I'm very strong in, and then there's some categories of Florida State trivia that I'm I'm not necessarily uh, as strong in. So I'm gonna have to uh, have to brush up on those and, and try to try to memorize some all-time leaderboards before Wednesday night. Stumpthebud.com. Look forward to seeing as many of y'all as possible. All right. So we were talking prior about like when you decide to give a kid an offer, and I think it's a delicate balancing act, like you mentioned before. Uh, but there is a certain level. That when you consider what your roster is going to be in in twenty one, what your roster is going to be in twenty two, that you really don't necessarily want to go below, right? And, and I, I think there's some kids out there who Florida State probably could offer, but maybe it just doesn't believe that they can eventually play at Florida State. And so if you offer this kid, you say, okay, he's a true freshman in twenty one, he's going to need until at least twenty three to to really make an impact. Well, if we got to sit him for two years. It, it, until he makes his impact in 23, he, he better have a really high ceiling. And I think there's several kids out there, and I'm not going to mention them and dog them out here, but I think there's some kids who are probably identified maybe on the message boards as sort of developmental types, but they're going to have to sit for two years and maybe play in year three. But I don't know if, if their ceiling in year three is, is quite as high. So 
Let me ask you about this. Like Micah Pettis is a kid who I, I don't know how high his ceiling is. It might be really high. I have a hard time getting a read on it just watching his film. I haven't seen him in person at a camp. I was really looking forward to seeing him at a camp uh, this summer. He was going to go to the Atlanta Under Armour camp, which I was scheduled to be at. But like his offer was pre-coronavirus. And I, I think that his offer was probably a camp offer, right? Like I don't know if, if that's a committable, committable shot right now. It's probably a come-to-camp type offer. And, uh, and, and see how you do with our coaches, see how you been, right? I, I don't know. Like, do you, let me ask you this. Do you think that Pettis would have received a Florida State offer post-corona in a world where we knew there wasn't going to be summer camps? I think it's an intriguing prospect uh, for those of you who aren't immediately familiar. This is a kid who's like 6'7", 6'8", 320. Big, big prospect. Somebody that, in my opinion, Florida State is going to want to do further evaluation. And and it was a camp offer. It was a, uh, you know, come to camp. We want to evaluate you further, but, uh, you know, we, we have a, a want to have you on our board and evaluate how you and I fit together. Uh, I don't think, I don't think Pettis could independently commit at this point in time. I'll put it that way. I, th- I think it's something that they would want to continue to see more of. I, I think I agree. Now, you talk about guys who had that upside. Like, if you're going to go and take a risk on a kid, and you project him like, like, hey, he might be a, a 23 starter, but we're going to have to invest two years in him, right? The, the 21 and 22 seasons. You're going to want a guy with really high upside, and and if you're willing to take these these long shots, kind, kind of throw down these roulette chips on some of these numbers, you also might want to look at at tight ends and and, and defensive linemen if you're going to do that. When looking at our evaluation, and I spoke about this on on the Barton and Bud show which is my other podcast now on, on 24-7 Sports, a little more national talk uh, with, with myself and Barton Simmons. And I talked about guys who, when we miss as a recruiting industry, why do we miss? And, and I've been studying this for about 10 years. And, and there are some buckets that guys fall into. And one of those buckets is typically late position change. So it's a guy who either changed positions late in high school or once he got to college. It, it oftentimes corresponds with, with a large growth of, of body size, typically uh, the minimum baseline that I use is a 15% increase in body weight in college, which I'm sure a lot of y'all are like, hey, I did that, right? <laughs> That's not that hard, bud, but uh, it actually is kind of tough to do that and maintain your speed. Uh, so the example I always use is you know, 200 to 235 is exactly 15% improvement, right? Um, or, well, no, it's, it's, it's not, sorry. But but it's pretty close, you know, two seventy to like three ten ish, in that range. So if if you're able to do that and keep your your athleticism, you're basically a whole new prospect. And so there is an argument to be made here that guys who already play offensive line may not have quite as much ridiculous upside potential as dudes who are potentially position change guys but who you take only because of athleticism. And so I, I guess my point here is like, if you're going to dip below a certain level of current ability, there needs to be a certain amount of corresponding ridiculous potential upside in the future if you're going to actually extend that offer. And so there may be some kids on the board whose names I don't know and who, honestly, their names might not even be on the board yet, if, if, if we're being real here, who could potentially... Uh, have some real upside for you there on, on the offensive line. Again, it's a, it's a very interesting dance uh, that you do. And again, from further away, it certainly seems as there's a much more active plan 
uh, that's out there. There's not just necessarily a massive rush for numbers to make you feel better. Uh, I do think that they have an idea as to kind of different tiers of kids uh, and then also willing to take a flyer on on uh, one. I started to say one or two. It certainly sounds more like one uh, if they really want to be like aggressive with a quote unquote project. So whether that be converting, a, a you know, a, a de- an interior defense alignment to offensive tackle over time, uh, whether that's looking at, you know, some of the kids that uh, Florida State signed last year that are, you know, newer to football and maybe played a, a year of high school tight end. Um, yeah, there's there's some kids out there that could project to just positions that at this point in time, we don't have any real ability to to forecast. So uh, the other option here, not the other option, but another thing we have to consider here is the transfer market. Uh, this is an area where even though the results have not been great, I, I think you also have to evaluate the process uh, that this staff has has taken with the transfer market and also with the junior college market, although we'll speak about that more in a minute. But it's very clear that Florida State has an organized and aggressive approach with the transfer portal. That doesn't mean that they're offering every kid, but basically anytime a guy who had an even halfway decent star rating out of high school hits hits the transfer portal, you could look at the follows on Twitter. And if you know how to dial this up right, you can kind of look at them in real time and just, Bang, 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 bang. Like Florida State's coaches are immediately following a guy, right? And that's that's a good example of of them just being on somebody early. Then they're trying to find out information about the kid. What what why is he transferring? What was he was he hurt? How did he do at, at that school? What is he looking to achieve with a new school? All, all these type of things. And it's very, it's a refreshing approach. I feel like they're more proactive uh, in this area than the last staff was. Uh, and so there are some guys out there who they could look at. Now, we don't know how much they like the, the Houston offensive tackle. Uh, I know he's been mentioned with Florida State. We'll see if they decide to really pursue him fully. I think Miami is on him fairly hard. But, Inger, we had another name tonight come in, and th- this, was, uh, this was a pretty big one. And it, it, it concerns a rival. Asiah Walker. Came out of left field, to be honest with you. Yeah, kid out of Norland High School that uh, some of our listeners may remember. Was he a long-time commitment to South Carolina? I certainly remember South Carolina being involved, but ultimately signed with Florida. And as of this evening, May the 4th, has uh, has chosen to enter the transfer portal. This is a really high-level prospect, man. I mean, a, a, a really high-level kid who signed with Florida, and it looked like a huge coup. For, for the Gators and honestly, like like a big blow for Florida State and, and somebody who uh, Willie Taggart's staff w- was really trying to get and, and they failed failed to do so. I, I don't think they had the best plan uh, to get him and certainly did, did not end up getting him. Florida signs him. He early enrolls at Florida, but he's only on campus for two months before the whole shutdown happens. And now tonight he has announced that he has entered the transfer portal. Uh, tweeting uh, yesterday, he tweeted, "Yeah, so all I do is keep getting played, something like that." Yeah, so I mean, certainly, a kid who, who has has a lot of thoughts, and, and and you hope the best for him. Look, clearly, this is a kid that, unless there's something that I don't know about, like some kind of off field thing, this is a dude. If you're Florida State, you pursue immediately because if if you get him on campus, look, unless he gets some kind of waiver, which is doubtful, he's not going to be able to play this year. But this is a guy who. Assuming you put a little bit of weight on him, it's going to have a chance to be an instant starter for you in in 2021. And this is the type of player that allows uh, maybe Darius Washington to kick inside 
and, and be, be an elite level guard for you if if you want him to. Now he has, Darius is the length to play tackle, despite the fact that he's not that tall. This is a guy I think you go after uh, pretty hard, unless there's just something that that the staff knows about that I don't know about. And so they, they are. If you look at, at the people who have followed uh, Walker in the last couple hours, well, there happens to be quite a few of them. You got Miami's coaches, you got Mississippi State's coaches, several of them, and you have a whole lot. Uh, you have Penn State's running back coach, Juwan Sider, but Ke- and Matt Wilson, the director of player personnel there at uh, Mississippi State, but Joe Bowen, uh, one of Florida State's uh, analysts there at linebacker, hit him, hit him with the follow. Uh, you also have uh, Louisville's quarterback coach, um, Zach Blostein, who works with us at Knowles 24-7, but uh, Effie Levy. Florida State's uh, player personnel recruiting assistant hit him, hit him with the follow. Coach Alec Atkins or Alex Atkins followed him. Coach Lachlan followed him. Uh, a, a lot of guys followed him, basically um, immediately from Florida State staff. And it, it's if you're Isaiah Walker, it, you know what Florida State's offensive line needs are because that's certainly something that the prior staff sold you on. Uh, maybe if the approach here is a little little bit better than it was with the prior staff. But the need still remains the same. Maybe you'll have a shot. Now, I'm not going to tell you that they have a great shot because I I don't know. Maybe, maybe they do. Maybe they don't. But this staff has been aggressive in the transfer portal, which is another reason why I don't necessarily think you need to go swinging at like major, major sleeper prospects on the offensive line. In addition to the fact that they also have done a very good job historically, not, not as a group, but the individuals on this staff have done a good job with junior college recruiting uh, on a historical basis. All right, we'll pause now ever so briefly to thank our sponsors at Resolution Home Loans. That's Shannon Young. Shannon is the best loan guy in the business. That's why you get the Nolcast Studios coming to you live. Got my home mortgage from him. Got my refi from him. Actually just made my first payment on my refi this month. Now's still a really good time to do refis. But also, uh, if if you're struggling right now, and, and a lot of folks are, Unemployment rates are, are, are sky high. Um, and just had a whole lot of people at my former place of employment be, be furloughed for several months, which was kind of a curious decision to me. There's a lot better options out there potentially than taking out high interest credit cards. And if you step back for a second and you look at, at, at the full portfolio that you might have as far as what's available to you for financial tools, you might find out that unlocking some of the value in your home uh, makes a lot of sense to help get help get you through this difficult time. Uh, if you think that's something that could help you out, give Shannon Young a call 844-FSU-LOAN. That's 844-FSU-LOAN. Tell them that Oldcast sent you. All right, bud. Uh, good amount of focus and conversation there on the, the offensive tackle position, as we've done really for the last month or so. In many ways, this is almost the offensive tackle Nolcast uh, over the, the month of April and May. But uh, let's do transition our focus a little bit to the interior position. We'll do the same thing we did as far as uh, when you look at the tackles and look at what you're going to have on the interior roster as we look towards 2021. So, uh, again, we'll just go through the same thing. You'll have junior Dante Lucas. You'll have redshirt sophomore Christian Meadows. Uh, You'll have redshirt sophomore Maury Smith. Uh, obviously, we're just projecting here, but those are those are the main three names on the roster that you can really look at when uh, when you're looking at the interior offensive line. And, and Ingram, if that was all we had, uh, that'd be really concerning to only have three guys there on the interior because there are three uh, three interior starting spots. Obviously, uh, the 
the full picture, which of course you know, is that some of those guys we listed off in the tackle ranks, if they're not playing tackle, will kick inside the guard, right? Maybe an Ira Henry or a Zane Herring or, or perhaps uh, you know, maybe a Thomas Schrader type. So all, all guys who are candidates to play on the interior. But, but Florida State certainly would like to take another interior player this year in addition to who they already have in, in Jake Slaughter. Jake Slaughter, uh, the center out of Ocala Trinity. And uh, Slaughter, I, I got to tell you, man, I, I apparently some schools like him uh, even more than I do uh, because Florida ended up offering him uh, just today. And that was, uh, it was a little bit surprising to me that they went ahead and, and extended that offer to Jake Slaughter. Yeah, it's good to see from a Florida State perspective to see that a guy is uh, high enough regarded to, to get a Florida offer. Uh, Slaughter, I think, is a, a solid prospect. And like you said, maybe maybe even a little bit more uh, held in higher esteem than than first realized at time of commitment. But uh, yeah, and again, the names that we talked about, if you want me to project, I think Zane Herring ultimately slides down on the inside here uh, in time. But uh, yeah, as far as Smith, Meadows, and Lucas really being the the main three that you have confidence when projecting in two years down the line. Absolutely. So uh, ultimately, how much of a factor will, will the Gators be with, with, with Jake Slaughter? Uh, he's not going to be visiting them anytime soon, most likely, uh, but certainly something to watch there. Uh, that's, that's just, hey, like they're kind of the top dog in the state right now. John Hevesy has a good reputation with offensive linemen. That, that's U.S. offensive line coach. And, and it seems like FSU may be in for a little bit of a fight here. Now, if you're Florida State, the cards you play are, hey, like we offered you way early. We believe in you. We 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 believe that you, after sitting a year, are going to be a guy who's probably going to be a three-year starter for us. And we need you. And we like we're building our offensive line revitalization plan, at least on the interior, around you. Stuff like that is is probably what you'll end up telling Jake Slaughter. And that could work because it's the truth. Uh, that they they really do need him. So, uh, and that's a guy I know Florida State staff is quite high on. Uh, another guy they're pretty high on who, who got some love uh, from the latest rankings of another company. You'll have to mention that since I work for one of them now. Uh, but uh, their their quarterback Luke Altmeyer ended up getting a bump, holding the quarterback out of Starkville, Mississippi, in high high regard. Yeah, it's always good to see. Uh, I know ESPN was one of the more recent ones, but uh, great to see a kid. Held, uh, you know, particularly at the quarterback position, a guy who has a chance to really go out there and be an aggressive recruiter for you. Um, ultimately, what matters to me is the staff's opinion of somebody, and if they were comfortable enough to let him commit uh, that early, that lets me know that he's a pretty good player. But yeah, seeing seeing four stars next to your quarterback's name uh, that's committed to you is uh, does have a certain comforting feeling for some percentages of the fan base, definitely. Absolutely. So uh, Altmeyer is, I think, like. Is he a top 100 player for them now or top 150 or something like that? Uh, and his rating actually there caused his composite score uh, to jump up to a, a four-star rating. So everybody now likes uh, Luke Altmaier a lot more because the algorithm uh, averaging together the, the three scores likes him uh, better than it once did. Uh, 24-7 still has him as a three-star. Uh, everybody keeps asking me, like, do you think that'll bump up? Uh my answer is almost certainly not in uh, not in May, uh, because our next rankings release will be focused on defensive players, and then in June, we'll be doing a deep dive uh, on offensive players. So, if it happens before his senior year, uh, most likely 
if it happens, again, I'm not saying it will, but if it does, it would probably be in the June rankings release as we do a deep dive on quarterbacks. Uh, for instance, tomorrow, or well, I guess when you're listening to this, Wednesday, we're going to do a deep dive on defensive backs, uh, or excuse me, uh, rather defensive linemen. Uh, last Wednesday, we did uh, three hours and 10 minutes on the linebacker position. So yeah, it, it's it's quite a bit. Uh, and that's every Wednesday. We re- really dive into this. The Zoom calls and, and digital film are very helpful because you can screen share and, and show just what you like about a kid or, or just what you have questions about. And we have uh, the, the five or six national analysts and then the 10 regional guys, everybody sharing their notes in a big time spreadsheet. It, it, it's a pretty cool setup. And Altmeyer will certainly probably get brought up in, in the deep dive uh, aspect of it simply because I, I, I think he has some pretty nice stats. Now, physically, he's not that impressive. Like, he's not a guy you're going to rate four stars just based on physical tools. But something that we're noticed more and more is stats at the high school level are, are probably more predictive than they've ever been. Yeah, it's interesting to hear somebody like you talk about that. Uh, it's tricky for me. I, I don't want to make too much out of at a high school player's uh, you know completion percentage and things like that. And uh, but at the same time, I do think that with the proliferation of the passing game at the high school level, that you you it's a much it's a much more accurate reading as far as what a guy could potentially do. Had nice two nice seasons in a row as far as the stats. Uh, the ability to minim- minimize the interceptions is the first thing that I look at uh, when looking at Altmeyer. But uh, yeah, a, a nice, really nice player uh, who's a, a nice piece at a position that uh, it's nice to see you back in the game of evaluating and signing high school quarterbacks. And Altmeyer would be a, a really strong second wave for Florida State to continue to do that with. Although the odds say he'll transfer, right, once he gets on campus. I was going back through the 2016 recruiting class today. We had 21 four-stars in that class at the quarterback position, Ingram. You want to take a guess how many transfers? 13. A little bit higher. 16? Higher. Wow. Okay. Damn. Well, I'll let you take it away from there then. 18. 18 of 21 four-stars. That's incredible. In the 2016 class, transferred at least once. I think five transferred twice. Incredible and uh, just reflective of kind of... Uh, one, the position, but also the the time and date in which we are in college football. So, yeah, when you're saying the numbers suggest he might transfer, you uh, you weren't joking. Yeah. Don't fall in love with quarterback recruits out of high school. I mean, like, seriously, the odds that a quarterback recruit sticks with your school out of high school are probably less than 50-50 now, I think, if you look back over the last couple of years, which also means, and we talked about this a little, little minute ago, being really good at the transfer portal is probably more important than ever, especially at that position. Bud, uh, I saw enjoy always kind of keeping an eye on what you're doing at 247. Uh, want to give you a chance to talk about your Heisman piece that you wrote. And also another article, and we hadn't talked about you writing about this, uh, but I've, I found your evaluation as to where the draft picks are going very interesting. See teams move away necessarily from drafted running backs and kind of where those draft picks have been filled by. So... Um, again, I give you give you the opportunity to talk about uh, mainly your your Heisman piece, but wanted to let you know I saw that and found that to be really interesting as well. I I appreciate that, buddy. So uh, the Heisman piece, um, this actually came about because Barton Simmons, my my colleague, had said, "Hey, like you know, just w- w- we think the college systems translate now to the pro game better than they ever have before." And I was like, "Yeah, that makes sense. I guess like the 
there's more scheme similarity between college and pro than probably than we've ever had before, right? Maybe there was a period in the 90s where you could argue like like pro style to pro style, but even then you had a lot of teams still running like triple option type stuff, uh, including you know Nebraska and those teams. And also in the 90s, you had some of that air raid uh, beginnings, but the NFL was just nowhere close to adopting it and they weren't running the fun and gun either. Uh, and so I took a look. And so I, I found this to be incredibly interesting. The last 10 quarterbacks to win a Heisman Trophy, their average draft position was sixth overall. So the last 10 guys to win the Heisman as a QB, their average pick in the NFL draft, number six overall pick. The last 10 quarterbacks before that 10, so basically quarterbacks 11 through 20, like in terms of recency to win the Heisman, their average draft position was 120th. So dude, we're looking at 120 compared to sixth. If that doesn't tell you something right there, I mean, that's that's pretty stark. That, that, that's not just a, a, a blip. Obviously, we removed Charlie Ward because he, he made it pretty well known that if he wasn't going to be a first rounder, don't draft him. He's going to go play in the NBA. Uh, but I, I think that, that Barton's on to something here. Like college stats translating to the NFL in terms of draft picks and, and team confidence in these players, it's, it's higher than ever. And NFL teams are now coming and adapting what they do to fit college players better than ever before, which we had a discussion probably six or seven years ago. If you recall this, how long would Jimbo's edge in terms of drafting quarterbacks or getting quarterbacks drafted because they fit the quote unquote NFL systems? How long would that last? Would it last forever? Would the spread offenses be a flash in the pan or would NFL teams eventually uh, adapt more to what college systems were, were college teams were doing? And I think we had some, some kind of mixed feelings on that. And it looks like we probably should have gone heavier on the idea that uh, that that edge would dissipate pretty hard and that NFL teams would go all in on kind of running these college-type systems in the NFL. Certainly, uh, you know, there's been individuals out there that just make you make you adapt to whatever you need to. And if you got guys like Patrick Mahomes and other prospects, then, uh, yeah, you're, you're willing to adapt and, and have flexibility on Sundays, whereas previously – Kind of the mentality was, uh, you know, you're going to force everybody into the traditional pro set and operate from there. So as far as the the draft piece, right, the the draft picks piece, I I, I follow analytics Twitter pretty hard, and, and a lot of these guys are much smarter than I am, so I don't weigh in that much, but I, I do try to read and absorb as much as I can, and, and they're all in on the, on the idea that drafting running backs in the first round is pretty stupid, and uh, like running, you know, running the ball in general is not as efficient as passing it is, and, and investing high picks in running backs is not that smart. Which there's certainly something to that. Nobody really kind of had an answer for like, okay, teams aren't taking running backs as often in the first round anymore, and that that's true. I mean, running back first round picks in the last ten years has declined more than fifty percent. But I was like, okay, what are they? doing with those picks because those picks still exist like they haven't gone away like who, what other positions are they taking with those picks are they using them more on defense no not really what i found which was kind of counterintuitive to me because i thought with the league passing the ball more they would probably take a couple more receivers in the first round they're actually taking fewer receivers in the first round now they're investing much more heavily in offensive linemen which i think if you drill that into it might make some sense in that it, as teams use uh, you know, fewer multiple tight end sets, fewer multiple running back sets, and they go to more receivers on the field. 
you were having to run more five-man type protections or, or just six-man protections. And thus, the value of each offensive lineman uh, in, in the pass protection scheme might be increased uh, relative to if you're running more seven-man uh, or even at times eight-man type protections like you would sometimes out of those pro-style sets. So that, that, that surprised you that they're, they weren't taking more receivers despite all the passing? I would have thought receivers or I th- would have thought uh, defensive ends and, and people to attack the passer, to be honest with you. Uh, I've just a quick glance at that was was kind of where I thought those numbers would have gone from from first looking at your article and genuinely enjoyed that. It's a good look at how the game's changing and, uh, you know, where teams are choosing to invest their most, uh, you know, their most powerful picks. Well, two bits of information, a kid out of Louisiana that we've talked about numerous times, uh, Destin Pazon, the uh, wide receiver out of uh, New Orleans at Nakar High School. My understanding, you got some new information for our listeners tonight? Uh, no, I, I have uh, no new info on that. It just it doesn't, like, there's been no real movement on him committing. I know for a while, everybody was expecting him to potentially commit. I mean, who knows? Maybe it'll still happen, but it just doesn't seem like he's in any kind of big rush to uh, to commit or or to announce a commitment. I don't want to ever get too involved in chasing individual crystal balls, but there certainly are some guys that you work for whose eyebrows all you know cause me to raise a little bit more, depending on uh, you know where they put them. And uh, couldn't help but notice that uh, Mr. Wilfong dropped a crystal ball for a Hunter Washington, the uh, prospect at a Katy, Texas uh, defensive back prospect uh only one in the system right now so when you go and look and read that 100 percent of the predictions favor florida state keep that in mind but uh an intriguing prospect nonetheless with uh, an impressive list of offers yeah so uh big time big time kid here uh like obviously a really good offer list he, he's a top 24 7 guy for us at 24 7 sports 5 11 and a half good testing numbers not necessarily amazing ones but pretty good scheme versatility natural football player and, and a guy out of Texas. Uh, I, I know you and I both have some concerns about this staff's uh, connections to the state of Florida. Uh, and, and those are only exacerbated by the inability to get out and meet players and meet high school coaches because of the elimination of the evaluation period. Uh, but they are doing a fairly good job in areas where, where, where they've coached before and where they have coaching roots. And, and we know that a lot of these guys have coached in the state of Texas before, specifically here, Chris Thompson coached for TCU for many years. Mike Norbell is obviously from Texas. Uh, so going into Texas there and, and making a real play at a DB like Hunter Washington uh, c- can only help the class. And uh, I think that's that's fairly encouraging there about this staff. They, they seem to have their stuff uh, together and they really can't help that what happened with coronavirus, right? It's hard to blame them too much for that. You can you can say, hey, they should have had more guys on their staff with four connections. And I think that's a fair criticism, but I think it can be unfair when people apply that and say, well, see, you should have seen this coming because now they're not able to go out and make connections. Well, no, I don't know if you should have seen the global pandemic coming. That's probably not realistic. All right, Ingram, we'll pause ever so briefly here to thank Travis Johnson. Travis Johnson is a board certified family law attorney with more than a decade of experience in family law, proud supporter of the Nolcast and a member of the Metter and Johnson firm. You can reach Travis 850-435-9919. As we mentioned earlier, this is a pretty stressful time for people out there. A lot of people have uncertainty when it comes to employment, Uh, but a lot of people maybe, they may not know uh, that 
if you lose your job or if you if you have an adjustment in your income, especially because we don't know how long the situation is going to last, you need to know that the requirement for you to pay support does not automatically change when your circumstances change. In fact, the reason why you need to know this is you have to get a court order for modification of your child support or alimony ASAP because any reduction can only be made retroactive to the time of filing, not to the change in your income. So if you get laid off and your income drops and you don't file for several months, you don't get to backdate that, your adjustment, your alimony, your child support to the time when you got laid off. You get to backdate it to the time you filed, assuming you get it granted. This is really important. If this has happened to you, 850-435-9919. Reach out to Travis. And for Nolcast listeners, if you mentioned the show, Travis is offering a free initial consult and also offers flexible rate payment plans. Just a couple of quick hitters as we exit tonight. Uh, not necessarily, you know, Florida State specific. Obviously, everything that we talk about will will have that uh, kind of run that through the filter. But um, it's just interesting to see how different different schools are handling this whole situation right now. Uh, as far as you know, kids that they're having to take scholarships that they're allocating. That, in my opinion, you may well have to you know either cut or process or whatever the term you want to use. And then, you know, we'll we'll talk, maybe end it with a little bit of a prediction as far as decommitments and some of the massive amount of fluctuation that may exist with this recruiting class just because of the unique situations and parameters that it has to offer on, or operate uh, under. This is something you actually tipped me to, and I'm, I'm digging in on this. I, I think a lot of these schools are taking kids who they normally would not take and only to, to probably cut them later in the cycle or kind of stop communicating with them and just hope the kids take the hint a little bit later in the cycle. And and some schools are doing this and some schools are not. And, and I don't want this to sound all homerish. I just, I don't think Florida State is engaging in this. And in fact, I know there are certain kids who have tried to commit to Florida State and Florida State was like, hey, like we're not ready to take you. I don't think other schools are necessarily turning kids down right now. I think they're just taking kids just to get the positive momentum from it. And then they'll deal with, 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 with the aftermath later. And, and I got to tell you, like, I think there's some benefit to both strategies. If you take the kids and then you hold on, you decide to hold on to the ones that you actually end up liking and you find a way to tactfully sort of release the ones you don't like anymore, uh, post quarantine, post getting out on the road and seeing these guys, then it can make a lot of sense and, and it can work. Uh, it can also blow up in your face if you do that, which I think is what Florida is probably concerned about considering they have not got out on the road to meet these high school coaches yet. So they have to be a little more conservative in this, a little more measured, a little more targeted. And I think FSU is is doing that this time around, certainly. But like we know there's kids who have tried to commit to them who I, I think would probably make message borders happy. And they just, they're not the, the kids Florida State's looking to take right now. Uh, but I will just, I'll leave you all with this. I think that, and I'm writing about this, I think we are set up for like the most epic season of decommitments and commitment flips, potentially that we have ever seen, like in the history of recruiting records. I, I think it could be that big. Uh, and if you listened all the way to the end of the show, I'm not afraid to say that. I, I think this is going to be absolutely wild and, and I, I, I can't wait to see how this all unfolds. But I. I wouldn't freak out at all about recruiting rankings right now. I'll also uh, mention this. 
so everybody's talking about Tennessee and Tennessee's recruiting and is, is Tennessee, you know, are they fully invested now? Are they really, uh, they, are they in it to win it? If you know what I mean, Ingram. Um, and indeed they, they look like they're in it to win it to be sure they have 18 commitments right now. 18. That's, uh, that's quite a few. Six blue chip prospects, 12 non. Florida State last year, with the worst recruiting class they've ever had, had the exact same blue chip ratio, 33%. It's very early. Again, you want to make sure you're taking more really good players as opposed to just taking a lot of players. Volume is not necessarily the name of the game. Quality volume is the name of the game. And I, I just wouldn't flip out at this point. I, I think Florida State is doing a fine job relative to the circumstances. and. If you're on board with the idea that, that FSU is engaging in a, a long-term uh, rebuild here, not that they're going to suck for many years, uh, but you know, like there are some things here that aren't going to be fixed in just one season and maybe some things that won't be fixed in just two seasons, especially because you're a, a new coach with the, uh, the early signing period and, and with the whole quarantine shutdown thing that has robbed you of a significant number of recruiting opportunities this year. I think you have to like some of the directions that, that this program is going in under Coach Norvell. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a plan. I think there's a adherence to the plan, and there's a an overall level of organization that hasn't existed with Florida State in a long time, uh, really in, in more than a de- half a decade at least. Uh, so uh, we'll see how it turns out. I uh, want to leave people on that end of optimism and uh, and also the general idea, and I'll let you you know look at your numbers and get a better idea. And the recruiting cycle is always um, speeding up, but I believe we have. And again, I'll let you use the proprietary numbers as you feel comfortable. But we almost have, I think, double the number of commitments at this point in the cycle than we have uh, in the past two. Uh, when you look at it as far as a timeline, some of that's probably just kids wanting some. Um, I don't want to say security. Certainty would be a better word. Certainty with some of the uh, kind of uncertain times that we're in, but uh, we are setting up for a pretty, pretty epic uh, chase to the final, uh, the final gate when it comes to recruiting this year. And there will certainly be a lot of, a lot of drama and changes. And uh, Florida State will probably take part in a fair share of that. There's absolutely no doubt that a lot of these kids are jumping on just to reserve a spot, and we'll, we'll have to see. We'll have to see what happens there, but that, that that's kind of my thought. Like there, there's a lot of kids that are jumping on the reserve spot, and once all this dust settles, they're going to be looking for a better spot. All right, guys, uh, want to thank you as always. Like Bud said at the beginning of the podcast, the amount of written reviews we've received. Um, look, we're we're not a new ca- a podcast, uh, certainly not. Uh, but anytime that you guys take the uh, the effort and time that's necessary to leave us a review means an awful lot. Uh, if you find two to three minutes to do so in the next week. Uh, know that it's deeply appreciated by Bud and I. Uh, look forward to our, our Zoom call with Matt So on the 6th. Again, stumpthebod.com. And uh, for those of you who aren't there, we'll look forward to talking to you in the next week or so. Thank you very much. This has been the Nolcast. The Nolcast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith, music by Judson Wright, and produced by Justin Robinson. Go Knowles. Go Knowles.